welcome to Liberty Lake Church. Kind of got a relaxed acoustic thing going on this morning. So you are welcome to sit or stand as you feel led. But get everybody coming in for some worship this morning. Good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. Uh, my name is Gary Baker. I'm one of the elders here. There are a few announcements. Um, I was going to do a political message, but I decided that we've had enough of those. I'm going to be so glad when that's over. Uh, so the fireside room is open downstairs in the basement. Um, 
for folks that would like a place to gather where uh, masking and social distancing is, um, is being practiced. So if you know of anybody uh, that uh, might not be coming because they're a little bit uh, hesitant about all this stuff that's going on, uh, let them know. Uh, we're trying to get the word out, let people know that there is a place where um, the, the service is being put on a screen down there. It's got its own uh, bathrooms and kitchen and coffee and um, we've had pretty good reviews from it so far. And my phone just turned itself off. There we go. Uh, youth group is not meeting tonight. So keep, uh, keep tuned for that. Next Sunday, we are doing our annual turkey fry. And um, so it's going to be a done a little bit differently than we have in the past. It won't be um, a, a true potluck. Uh, we're trying to follow the guidelines that we, that we need to for the health department and to keep things safe. So uh, you don't need to bring anything. Uh, the food will be prepared here by a group of our wonderful ladies. Uh, if you'd like to donate a turkey, please let Julie know and make sure that you drop it off to the church by Wednesday. Um, and I'm assuming, Julie, where are you? You don't want them frozen that late, do you? You want them fresh? Yeah. So that if you bring one by, it needs to be um, thawed. Uh, Coffee with Shane is back. Uh, you can find him on Facebook on Wednesday mornings at 10 o'clock a.m. And uh, how's that been going? <laughs> All right, cool. Joan, where are you at? Come on up. Uh, Samaritan Purse, whose president is Franklin Graham, uh, collects Operation Christmas Child boxes filled with toys and other gifts <coughs> to be delivered to children around the world, partnership with local churches. Uh, these boxes go to over 160 countries, including hard-to-reach countries. The shoe boxes um, delivered to outreach events where the gospel is present. They're also given to orphanage, just uh, hospitals, and at-risk at places to share the gospel. Many of the children also participate in a 12-lesson disciple class called The Greatest Journey, where they learn about Jesus Christ, and they're able to share that with other children. I think this is a great way for us to also uh, help share the gospel and spread the gospel. In the boxes, and you may take more than one box, um, is a brochure explaining how to, to uh, fill the box and how to mark it. You choose a boy or a girl and the age uh, that you want to collect for. The brochure tells you what you can pack and what's not acceptable. There is also in your brochure and on the wall back there, uh, it will tell you what you can and cannot put in the boxes. If you'd like to include a note or a prayer for your child, you're more than welcome to do that. Uh, they are also asking for a $9 <coughs> donation to help defray the cost of the shipping. You can include your check in the box. You can do it online, or there is also an envelope with your brochure that you can mail it in. If you want to know where your box is going, there's also another slip of paper in there that will explain how you can do that. The National Collection <coughs> Week is November 16th through the 23rd. However, I would like the boxes returned by the 15th so I can get them to the collection site. You can bring them in on Sunday or, and Julie doesn't know this yet, if you come <laughs> into the church during the week, you're welcome to bring them in and just leave them with Julie and I'll get them from her. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Joan. Um, yeah, that's a wonderful program. I don't know if anybody's ever seen pictures taken of those kids receiving these boxes, but it's, uh, it's pretty cool. And for a lot of those kids in, uh, especially in underdeveloped areas, this could be the only Christmas present they get. So, all right. 
let's uh, let's stand and continue worship. What can wash away my sin?
and you provide everything we need, all of your mercies. Thank you for that today. In your name, amen. The kids are dismissed, right? Yes, kids are remember. dismissed. Only took four weeks. Good morning. You know, I, I need to share with you, I, I really am enjoying the Wednesday morning uh, coffee time together, and it's just awkward. It's weird for me to look at my own face, and I feel like I'm talking to myself. And so I know you are there, but I cannot see you in that video conference. I just see me. So it is very weird. Um, so, you know, if you want to know what that's like, just go look in the mirror and have a conversation with yourself about the Lord. It's actually probably not a bad idea. You hopefully received as you came in. If not, uh, there will be opportunity uh, for you to grab um, one of these sheets of paper. Uh, we're going to use this uh, later on uh, in the service this morning as part of our communion process. Um, and I want to encourage you that when we get to that, uh, be sure to use a pencil, not a pen, um, because part of what we're going to do uh, with this piece of paper um, is that we're going to approach communion today, recognizing that the process of repentance of sin uh, is really where we're identifying in our own lives the areas in which we see in Scripture that, that do not align. And there's times for us that it's just good for a physical example where, where I'm going to write down things that I'm struggling with with the Lord, and I'm going to fold this up, and I'm going to drop it in the bucket that's at each one of our stations for you to get communion. And I want to encourage you, when you get there, stay there long enough that yours dissolves, and then take the, the um, stuff that we have for communion, the elements that we have, and head back to your seat, and then we'll partake together when everybody has had an opportunity to do that. But if you write it down in pen, it seems to stay there so we can all see what the first person ahead of us did. So if you write it in pencil, it disappears, and it's way better for all of us. So um, use pencil. An exciting part of the, the, the passage, and it, it, it's, it's exciting for us, you guys, because we, we know what the outcome is. We get to watch what God does in this process. But for his disciples, this had to be an incredibly unsettling moment. It had to be just an amazing uh, uh, part where the guys are looking at him going, what are you talking about? Um, but we're at the Passover. We're in Mark chapter 14, um, and we're going we're gonna to grab verses 22 through 25 this morning and, and look at a few of uh, just a few things in that, in that section of Scripture today. So uh, be turning your Bibles with me if you would, and then we'll jump in uh, to this together. It's also an awkward thing. I don't know if you've ever taken a drink in front of a whole crowd, but it's just, that's weird, too. I am, uh, I'm very grateful uh, for you as a body. I'm grateful for the family that we have here. Uh, it's been one of the great joys uh, for my bride and I uh, to get to know you, for you guys to get to know us, to still allow me to come. I know you'd keep her. Um, but it has just been a, a great joy for us, and we feel very, very blessed to be part of your family. So I want you to hear that uh, from me and know uh, how meaningful it is uh, for me to get to be part of your family and um, to be loved and to love you and, and to get to do this together. So as we wrestle this morning um, with this text, uh, it is my heart that you and I grow um, to be more convinced of the miraculous of who God is in, in this process of paying for our sins and making a way uh, for us uh, as his reality and that truth uh, and to address those issues in our life. So jump in with me into Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 22. Mark says this, 
And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all, uh, they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Uh, when Jesus is setting up the, the, the Passover uh, meal, the boys are coming, his disciples are coming, anticipating the traditional Passover process. And they've most likely done this uh, since they were little children, they understood it, and they were expecting Jesus to, to do that with them together and, and probably follow a pretty regular tradition. And what's amazing about what he does is that he actually takes this particular tradition and he applies it to himself, which had to be baffling for them, right? You would think at this moment that he, the, the disciples would just be, what in the world, your, the bread represents your body and, and the wine, your blood, this makes no sense. This is the sacrificial process. There's a lamb that is to be sacrificed and, and there's blood that's to be spilt and he's taking these two items and he's drawing a parallel to them. And I, and I love uh, some of the unique things that happen in this and it, it, it's kind of how I wrestle with um, in, in my own head. And he actually said two different things about the bread and the cup that I want to look at for just a second, because um, I think it's an amazing uh, process how Jesus leads us into our approach to his father and his relationship with his father. Um, the first thing that he does is he takes and he blesses the bread and breaks it and gives it to them. Um, there's, a, there's another spot in Scripture where we actually see him blessing uh, a meal, and it's, it's actually bread. Uh, it's in Matthew chapter 14. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14, and I, I want you to see what's happening uh, in the text. Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 17. He's blessing bread again here. This is Jesus feeding the 5,000. We're going to pick up in verse 17. Matthew 14, verse 17. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets of, uh, full of the broken pieces left over, and those who ate were about 5,000 men, women, uh, besides women and children. Here, Jesus, again, he, he actually looks up to heaven and gives a blessing over this, the, the food that was given to him, and he distributes it, and it, it, it turns into food by his miraculous power. Five loaves and two fish feeds 5,000 people, plus women and children, and they had uh, 12 baskets full of remaining. So, you guys, shouldn't we be blessing our food? Okay, but, but why are we blessing our food? Uh, I think it's interesting. I love Tim Hawkins. He, he has a great approach on this. Uh, he actually suggests that we bless our food because we're using Cheetos and asking God to make them carrots as they go down so that they're healthy for us. It's like, it'd be like us as Americans asking God to bless the double bacon cheeseburger extra cheese with a bucket of fries and a gallon of milkshake. Lord, please help me be healthy and do your will. When we think about a blessing that Jesus is asking over the, the, the bread that he's offering, or in this sense, his own body that he's coming, it, do you think that he's asking a blessing of, God, give me a healthy life? Give me a long life, a prosperous life? I, I don't believe Jesus' focus at this blessing as he's offering this bread to his disciples, as he said in an example, is going to be focused on himself as much as it would be focused on the will of the Father. We know that Jesus lives for the will of his Father. Imagine the blessing that he's giving. Now, I don't know a lot, actually, I don't know really anything about Jewish blessings. I've read them. You and I have read them in the Old Testament. We've watched uh, Isaac bless his sons. We've watched those things happen. And, and honestly, I've never, I've never really given a blessing like that um, to my boys. I haven't, I haven't followed in that footstep. In fact, today we're going to attempt to do something similar to this, I think. Um, but we're going to follow a, a benediction that Paul gives. Um, and, and we're going to do that because there is 
some reality of what God is doing and what Jesus does in his relationship. But when we think about blessing or offering a blessing, too often for myself, I would say, that when I'm praying over things, my focus is more about what I'm wanting to get out of it than what God may want to do with it. And in this moment, Jesus is saying that my body, this bread represents my body, and he's blessing it for what purpose? For the will of God. And we're going to see that in just a little bit, that, that the fulfillment of his, this blessing that he's asking over the bread, which represents his body, uh, is actually, it's completed in him, but in his death and in his resurrection. And it's incredible. Now, along with the bread that he asks a blessing over, he also takes the cup. And isn't it interesting that in verse 23, and he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. But I thought to myself, is it just that he's using a similar word in the Greek? Is it, is it the same thing, or is it slightly different? Well, I, I think that in, a, in the sense of this, it is slightly different, and we actually see him doing this again in Matthew, the same gospel that we looked at in Matthew chapter 14, Matthew chapter 15, shortly after the feeding of the 5,000, we actually see him feeding 4,000. Matthew chapter 15, verse 36 and 37. Matthew 15, 36 says this, He took the seven loaves and the, fi- and the fish, having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got in... Oops, sorry, I went past my verse. The guy, I don't know if you guys noticed that, but I guess it happens regularly. Do you guys notice that? Okay, well, I, I apologize. I get wrapped up in the story. What's going to happen next? Here we see Jesus doing a very similar thing, but this time he gives thanks for it. I, I've told this story probably before, but one of, the, one of the most pertinent examples of a thankful heart um, was my boys. We were buying our first house. Uh, we were out in Yakult, Washington. Anybody know Yakult? Okay, a couple of people know Yakult. Um, one of the pastors that I was working with back there, he was from the, um, I think it was from the Midwest anyway, he called it Yakult. And I'm like, no, it's not Yakult. That just sounds horrible. Um, but we were buying our first house, and we were asking our boys to pray. Now, my boys at the time, they were very, very young, and, and how they would pray is they would thank God for the things that they wanted. So they would thank God for a good day tomorrow. They would thank him for different things. And I remember we were buying this house, and we were praying about it, and one of the boys thanked God for a swimming pool. Now, you have to understand, my bride and I, were, we were uh, in part-time ministry at the time, and we were buying the house on the special, like, poor people plan. And so we were getting government assistance. It was all of those things were all combined to this. So we were just going to barely be able to get into the house and make the payments. There was no way a pool was anywhere in the near future of anything. And my boy is, one of the boys is saying, thank you for a swimming pool. Now, in God's sovereignty and how he works, uh, we were getting shown around the house right before we bought it, and the couple took us into the old shed, this little tiny metal tool shed that was set on the side. They were like, hey, you know, um, we actually have the swimming pool in here, and uh, we're not going to take it with us, so you guys can have it. Oh, great. Now we have that pattern started. They're going to thank God for a new car or something next, right? But what kind of faith is that in a young man who says, God, that... That Jesus models that for us, and he thanks God for the provisions that were available to him in seven loaves of bread for more than 4,000 people. We're back. So far, until it goes away again. Um, so, <laughs> well, if they, uh, anyway, technology, how can, how can you deal with it? Uh, but can we not be thankful, right, Doug? This is still God's provision. Whether, whether this works or not is God's provision. 
Uh, and so we can be thankful for that. Jesus sets that as an example for his disciples. I believe he sets that as an example for us. And did you notice in both of these examples where Jesus is offering a blessing and he's offering thanks, everybody ate and they were satisfied. And there was extra. Extra. But what's the focus of our thanksgiving? What's the focus of our uh, the, when, when we're asking God to bless the things that we have, when Jesus does it here in the text, he's asking him to bless the gift of his body, the bread that represents his physical body and the wine that represents the blood that will be his, that will be spilt for mankind. The blessing and the giving of thanks. That's one of the things that I'm going to challenge us to do uh, today because I've been wrestling with it all week. Is it as we approach the communion table today to actually consider what would it mean for me to ask God to bless the life that I have to give to him. Allow my life to be used for your will. God bless this life that it would be used up in accordance to your will. And whatever that looks like, I will be thankful for your provision. Jesus then says something that you know as he's, as he's offering the blessing of the bread. He says two key things. This is my body, and this is the blood of my covenant. Why is it important that Jesus references his body in this? Why was it important? Has, have any of you ever asked that question? Why did Jesus have to die? Why couldn't he have just go up, oh, you're free, you're free, you're free, you're good, and just, just excuse it? There's a, there's a particular uh, value to the fact that he was human, fully human, and that he actually came to the earth and that he died for us. And we're, we're going to follow with me in Hebrews. We're going to take a little journey through Hebrews to this morning because it'll help us to see the value of the sacrifice, the importance of his physical presence on the earth for us. Um, Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14. Jesus says to his disciples, this is my body. He breaks the bread and says, this is my body. In Hebrews 4, 14, we see the text. It says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who, is, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Jesus, as our high priest, as a human, experienced every temptation, everything that you and I experience in the, in the world of temptation, he has gone through himself and is therefore able to sympathize with our condition. It, it, at some level, it makes him approachable, but the amazing thing is, is that because he's fully human, Hebrews chapter 5 actually explains uh, more of this for us, the human side of who he was. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 says this, in those days, excuse me, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obeyed him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. We see in his humanness that he experienced, it says that he actually pleaded with the Lord uh, with loud cries and tears, the, the, the human emotion, the, the experience of those things that you and I go through. He pleaded with God in those things that if, and we know that from the, from the, um, from the time of prayer, when, when we're actually going to see that coming up where he's praying so intensely, asking God to let the cup pass, but he says, not my will, but yours be done. And we see in his flesh, don't, aren't you excited about this? It says that although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. Being made perfect in verse 9, he became the source of eternal life. When was he made perfect? What was the process of being made perfect? It was obedience to the point of death. That was where Christ was made perfect. 
And in that moment, in that time, he became the source of eternal life for all who obey him. This process of him being human makes him capable of being our representation. He lived and walked with us and was without sin and therefore was the perfect sacrifice. The Holy Lamb of God that John the Baptist introduced him as. Jesus says, this is the blood, this is my blood of the covenant. And it's interesting, again, as we continue in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9 tells us that blood is required for the forgiveness of sin. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 19 through 22. For, whenever, uh, for when every commandment of the law had been made, uh, been declared by Moses to all the people. He took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. In God's covenant relationship with mankind, the cost of being made right, the cost of sin, is the sacrifice of blood. It's, it's blood that is required. Um, I remember a discussion I was having uh, with a friend of mine. I'm like, I don't like that. And... Um, a good friend looked at me and he goes, so you should have created everything then and made the rules. And I thought, that, I don't like you because I don't get to do that. And that really is the problem, isn't it? When we look at what God did, when we look at the covenants and we look at what he established in this, the problem is that I don't really like what, what he's done or how he set him up. And what I love about the covenant process and God's faithfulness in all this is that, yes, he set up the covenant. Yes, the cost is high, um, and, and, and it's incredibly high. And the reality of the old covenant is that we can't make it. We, the 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 Blood and goats, the blood of blood and goats does not take care of our sin. In fact, we see that um, if you continue to read in Hebrews, you'll see the writer of Hebrews actually quotes Jeremiah 31, which we're just going to jump back to Jeremiah 31 because it's specifically introducing and, and preparing God's people for the new covenant that's coming because uh, Israel is having such a hard time fulfilling the old covenant. They're, they're failing. Um, just like you and I fail on a regular basis, but they're, they're failing in this, and God tells them through Jeremiah that there's a new covenant coming. And watch what it says and, and just see if it doesn't grab your heart in, in relating to who Christ is uh, as we go through this. Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their inequities and I will remember their sins no more. What an incredible covenant. He will be our God and we will be his people. He will re remember the sins of his people no more. This new covenant is spectacular. This new covenant is different than the old covenant. But the requirements are still very, very similar. We see this echoed and, and the encouragement uh, written in Zechariah chapter 9. Uh, what I love about Zechariah is it, it actually helps us to see the picture of Christ because he uses uh, uh, two il illustrations in here that, that I believe as you see them, you, you will see it as well. It's very clearly a picture of Christ who's coming, uh, and the purpose is for his sacrifice for this moment, uh, for this Passover, uh, to, to actually be the sacrificial lamb, the Passover lamb for the sins of the people. Zechariah chapter 9, 
starting in verse 9. The text says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall speak peace to the nations, and his rule shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. Doesn't that sound like the triumphal entry? Pretty incredible, isn't it? We've got to keep going and, and look at verse 11. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. And he continues on, and it, it's an incredible picture. But here you have this coming king who's arriving with salvation in his hand. Rejoice, Jerusalem. He's going to be humble, riding on a donkey, the foal. And he's going to come and he's going to bring salvation. It's going to be this great moment where peace is proclaimed and there's still attached to that the blood of my covenant with you. There's still this blood offering that's required and Zechariah is pointing to the coming of Christ. And his disciples, the disciples are wrestling with us, looking at the Passover, sitting at this meal, having no clue that Jesus was specifically referring to his death later on that weekend. But that's the picture that he has. That's, that's the imagery that he's painting when he says to them, this is my, this represents, this bread represents my body, and this wine represents the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Over and over, Jesus has given them the imagery. Over and over, Jesus has shared with them that this reality is coming. In fact, we, I think we saw it uh, last week, the, the road to uh, Emmaus, where he's explaining from Moses and the prophets all what the scriptures say about who he was and what he would suffer and the reality of who Jesus is. We're, we're going to prepare to do communion now, and, and I want to read this passage um, out of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're going to read all the way through verse 34 because it, it deals with the issues of repentance. It deals with this reality as we look at our own lives and we see our own sin. And we need to address those things as we come to this table and, and, and come understanding what the table represents, understanding what we're saying when we take this wafer, when we, when we drink the juice that's in these cups. We are proclaiming Christ's death until he's coming. We're identifying with the sacrifice that he offered to, his, uh, to, to the disciples at this particular moment. Fulfilled later. That's what communion is, and Jesus is establishing it now. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup, and after supper, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About other things, I will give directions when I come. Here Paul is reminding the people of Corinth to, to get your affairs right. Rightly judge your own heart. Set those things in place. Do you know, I was reading um, uh, just another verse popped in my head uh, this morning. was Revelations 12, 10. And we're not going to read it this morning. But, but basically it says that in this, uh, the relationship that, that we have with our Father up in heaven, that Satan, our enemy, is actually accusing us day and night. Go, go and read it. Revelations 12, 10. 
It's a, that's what it says, that he's accusing us, making accusations against the, 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 the church or against the believers day and night. And so I don't know about you guys, but I really wrestle with this. If, if I'm looking at my life, if I'm rightly evaluating my life, I have a list of things that I could confess. Anger, you know, bad thoughts about other people. I, again, I'm not, you guys have noticed, no driving illustrations today. Isn't that awesome? I have them. They're still there. People are dumb. I'm sure I infuriate people in my life. I know that. It's a reality. But how we deal with it, what we leave in our hearts, what we leave unchecked, that's the stuff that grows and festers and becomes a problem. And so when we see these realities, when we see the truth of his word, and we recognize what Jesus did on the cross for you and for me, the price that he paid was significant. Even as he came to this moment, he's offering his body willingly. And he establishes for us this process of communion that helps us to understand the cost. And this new covenant that's in his blood, the payment that is perfect and capable of covering all of our sins. And yet from time to time, you and I walk around with our heads down going, "Uh, is there anything that can really handle this? I think we should be more willing to say, God, I blew it. I'm a wreck. In fact, I'm holding on to this thing. I don't want to let go of it. I I don't know. Sometimes I think we actually find our identity in our brokenness. I'm better off just being a loser. Maybe God won't expect much out of me that way. The problem is he doesn't see us that way. Because it's his son that is our advocate, our high priest. It's Jesus' blood that pays the price for our salvation. Not yours and me, not not you and me, not our works. It's the blood of Jesus that does this. The enemy, yes, he is constantly accusing us. Of what? What do you have in your head, in your heart? That maybe today would be something to just let go of and say, God, you paid for this. Jesus, you paid for this. This is not who I am anymore. Sometimes our sin, I think, you know, it, 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 life struggles and sin can explain a little bit about us, but it really doesn't define us. And, and we got to stop living like it does. When you come to the table this morning, I'm going to challenge you and I together to ask God to bless the life that we are, that we are acknowledging in Christ that was offered at the cross in how it affects us, how it changes us, how it transforms us, how, it, how he uses us in our daily living. And to spend a moment in thankfulness, to thank God for the, the sacrificial blood, the, the, the willing offering of his son that takes you and I out of the category of accused and places us into the category of redeemed in the heavenly realm. Ephesians, we had a great time on Wednesday because we were reading through the first chapter of Ephesians, and it was amazing what God has done. And and if you read all of that passage, you will be so encouraged because he says we're seated in the heavenly places next to him. We've been given all the spiritual blessings. Before the beginning foundations of the earth, he predestined our outcome, our relationship with him and what we would be, and that's all available. And Paul seems to think that when we come to communion, we should rightly evaluate our hearts and put any of the junk that we're hanging on to or that somehow we're making excuses for in our lives or that we're not acknowledging and we're not dealing with, that we get rid of it and leave it there. So this morning, the illustration, it's a physical illustration. You're going to take this piece of paper. We made it small so you don't have all day. So generalize. If it's a bigger list than this, we can get you more paper. Make light of it a little bit, you guys, partly because it's a heavy thing and it's a painful thing. There may be things that you lay up here that you're holding on to that are ruining your spiritual walk because you've been wounded by somebody else. That's entirely possible. I know people that have been wounded by other people and they're not able to, to give up that hurt, to let go of the anger and the pain, and it, inter- it, it interrupts their relationship with the Lord. There may be sin that you and I are holding on to that we think nobody knows about because it's, it's in the darkness of our home and in the, in the quietness when we're all alone. 
It's time to put those things away. And sometimes it's helpful to see it happen. As you write down on this paper and you put it into the water, you will see it dissolve and go away and you won't be able to get it back. I want to challenge you this morning as you do this to take a few moments of quiet reflection and ask God, what is it? Even David says, if there's any unknown, unknown sin in my life, reveal it to me. Uh, Psalms 139, God, search my heart. Take a few moments and quietly reflect on this and write those things down. And when you have finished this, we're going to have just a moment of quiet in here. When you have finished that and you're ready, would you just get up, bring it forward, place it in the bucket of water down below, and when it's gone, take your elements for communion, go back and sit down, and we will be um, able to gather. There are three stations in the room this morning, one in the back, two up front. Just go set them in there, grab your elements, and come back and sit down, and I'll, I'll come up and we will take together this morning. Um, but just take a few minutes of quiet and let God do the work that he needs to do in your own heart this morning.
Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take together. Verse 25, he continued in the same way. Also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take together. Father, I do ask this morning that you would overwhelm our hearts with the reality of of who you are, what your son Jesus did on the cross for for us, for me, the payment that was paid, the the suffering that uh, resulted in in the learning of obedience. Uh, God, I I even struggle with that imagery. that Christ took as an innocent person all of the payment that that I deserve. Father, I pray this morning that you would help us to understand um, what it means to to live for you, to to live in obedience to you, to rightly evaluate, to to rightly assess our own lives based on your scripture, your word, and for us to come to the cross. Uh, and to lay down those burdens, to lay down those things, and recognize who we are in you. Help us to not live uh, defeated Christian lives because of the accuser, but, Father, help us to, to turn our eyes to you and to confess our sins and to recognize uh, the joy that we have in those things. So, God, we give you the, the glory, the praise, all of those things that belong to you and you alone, and ask that you would oversee uh, the remainder of this day, this time together, and and help us to be your lights uh, this week. So, thank you, Jesus, in your name, Amen.
if at some point um, you are in a spot where you want to pray or talk about um, just what it means to know the Lord, uh, we can't take for granted that everybody that shows up at church on a Sunday um, has that in their heart settled. I, I want you to know that um, I'm available, or our elders and their brides are available. Other people are available in this church. If you see somebody smiling, as you ask them about the gospel. In fact, I'd, I'd de- dare you to do that to everybody anyway. <laughs> Make them tell you about it. But I want you to know that, that we're available, and we would love to pray for you. And um, So please, even this morning, if, if you need to pray with somebody or talk to somebody, just come up and grab me. Um, and if there's a pile of them, we'll all get other people in, and we can pray with you. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good that you may do his will, with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you and we'll see you next week.